For those of you who are new, either to student ministries or to our Wednesday night study, over the summer, our study has been See Jesus. Can anybody help the rest of the group here understand kind of the thrust of our study on seeing Jesus? Not you. What, what do we mean, I should say, what do I mean when I say see Jesus? What are we talking about? I'm going to move the overhead because right now Jess has a cyclops eye. I mean, like, there you go. Oh. Help us out. What does it mean to see Jesus? Anybody? This means that I am doing a fantastic job explaining the text. Michael. Um, as Christians, we're called to live a life of faith, and so many times people ask, what does that really, how is that fleshed out? And so the whole series has been about looking at Jesus and how he's more than just our, our example, but our way of life. So. He's a way of life. Okay, good. Um, we talked about... That's the master. You don't take the master. <laughs> Chrisanna, would you go up and make a couple copies? Yes. Oh, we good? Oh, but now Ben Tay doesn't have one. Here. Uh huh. I've got to get that to you. Um, how many? How many copies do we need? Just one. You sure? Thanks, Joy. Oh, thank you, Joy. I was going to have to give the copy code out. Not good. All right, getting back on track. Seeing Jesus, we've, we've talked specifically about seeing Jesus in relation to, so far, three specific areas of life. Does anybody remember those three areas of the Christian life? Prayer, that was the first one. What was the next one? Assurance. Assurance of salvation. Nice job, J. Mac. And the one we're currently on is what? You can look at your study sheet tonight. Sin, Sin. exactly. And, and the, the impetus for this study has come from the book of Hebrews, but especially chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured a cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Would uh, somebody tall like to turn on that fan, <clears throat> Mr. Fowler? Thank you, man. <laughs> According to these two verses, all right, the writer of Hebrews says, we as believers, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this applies to you. We as believers are to run the race, the life of a Christian, the race with endurance. And the way we do that is to lay aside every weight and every sin, and the way we do that is by keeping our gaze set on Jesus. 
Okay? So the first item that we looked at was how Jesus relates to our prayer life. Does anybody remember what specific aspect of Jesus should influence our prayer life as it pertains to the book of Hebrews? Becky. The high priest. Becky, are you able to kind of elaborate a little bit how Jesus as our great high priest influences our prayer? You don't have to rap. That's fine. That's an inside joke, by the way, if you weren't here. Anybody want to help Becky out? John? We don't need a high priest to make offerings and supplication for us to God on our behalf. We have... Jesus, he's always there in God's presence. He's our direct route to that. Very well put. He, he, as the high priest, the great high priest, and the sacrifice, made the once for all sacrifice. We don't need to make any sacrifices. And as the writer of Hebrews says, we should come boldly before the throne of grace in prayer, and we're going to find mercy and grace in our time of need. Okay. Also, the high priesthood of Jesus affects the way we understand assurance of salvation. Can anybody elaborate a little bit on that? We looked at chapter 7, how Jesus as our high priest affects our assurance of salvation. Sacrifices um, once and for all. Once for all. So he can forever perfect those who have come by faith in Jesus Christ, right? So our assurance is set. And the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, hold your confession without wavering because of Jesus your high priest. Right? That's what he says. Hold your confession without wavering because of Jesus. All right? And so here in chapter 12, we started the last time we met, which was now, what, three or four weeks ago? A long time ago? Seems like a long time ago. We met to see how Jesus specifically relates to us struggling... I like the word fight, fighting against sin every day in our life. We had some good discussion last time. I don't know if any of you remember it. It was a long long time ago. But tonight I want to discuss in more detail what this looks like, how this works, the whole concept of fighting sin. So understand the context here. We're going to read the first four, four verses again and then answer some questions together. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, What's the writer of Hebrews talking about here in that first phrase? Hebrews chapter 11. 11. If we could put kind of like a nutshell summary on what he was trying to do in chapter 11, what would you say? Live by faith. faith. Tyler, what did you say? Men Men and women of faith. My kind of paraphrase is faith works. It does. All these Old Testament saints that the writer of Hebrews highlights in chapter 11, show us that a life of faith works. Now, there's a whole lot we could get into there, but that's his reference point in the beginning part of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses that are saying faith works, faith works, faith works. That's my understanding of it, okay? Since we have that cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. And then in the rest of verse 2, he explains in more detail, describes this Jesus, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners 
against himself so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now understand, the writer here is trying to encourage these Hebrew believers to keep going. They're being influenced to lose sight of Jesus. They're being influenced to go back to Judaism. The persecution was coming, so they wanted to shed their Christian identity, being like Christ. And the whole message of Hebrews is Christ is superior to everything, and your faith rests on Him. Not on other things, it rests on Him. So don't give up on Jesus, because He hasn't given up on you and will never give up on you. So they're struggling, yes, against persecution from without, but they're also struggling with their own sin. And the writer says here, consider Jesus. As you fight against sin, consider Jesus, because He endured so much. So you don't grow weary. Grow weary. Dakota, are you weary? Very. J-Mac, are you weary? Anybody else in football right now? Have you started yet? You have. I can't. You know what? I know. It's revelation. Did you just say, I'm in high school? That's a... Jared, you know what? I remember when you came up to student ministries and and you were a budding 12-year-old. Is that right? You were budding. You were budding. (laughs) Yes, you were a little sprout. That's what you were. You're just a little guy. And now, now your voice is getting deeper. And you're in football. All right, moving on. All right, moving on. So you, you grow weary. Life causes you to be very weary and tired. And the writer is encouraging us, implying to us, not just implying, but directly saying, Jesus is the way you endure. That's what he's saying. And we've got to figure out this connection between Jesus and keep, keeping steady. Continue on in our Christian race. All right, so we're going to try to unpack this a little bit by answering some questions. So you see there on the left side of your sheet, about halfway down, we have three phrases. These come straight from the text. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, then let us lay aside every sin by looking to Jesus. Okay? Now we're not going to address those questions right off to the right side of that yet. We're going to keep going down. So we want to understand how does seeing Jesus help us fight sin. The writer has started chapter 12 by saying, looking unto Jesus. Now, this is an, there's probably an obvious answer to this, I understand. But is he talking about physically seeing Jesus? No, he's not talking about physically seeing Jesus. You might not understand the full background of the book of Hebrews, but do you think these believers actually saw Jesus? No. These are believers in Rome. They never physically saw Jesus. So the writer here to the, to the Hebrew believers is saying, keeping your eyes on Jesus, fixing on Him. And then even later in verse 4 he says, or verse 3, consider Him, think about Him. So there is something more than just physical senses going on. It's something of the heart. All right. So the first question gets our way down to answering, how do we see Jesus related to our sin? And the first one we need to understand as we get there is, should we fight against sin? And again, I know you're probably thinking, the answer is so obvious. Well, let's talk about this. Should we fight sin? Who wants to answer that? Michael's answering it. Who else? Yes. Who else? 
Yes. Okay. Now here's the harder question. Why? Why should we fight sin? Rainy? Because sin is wrong. Good. It glorifies God shows God to others. Glorifies God. Okay. Becky? We're no longer slaves to sin. Oh, that sounds familiar. Okay. Jared? God tells us to. God tells us to. Okay. If you don't fight it, you're going to give in to it. If you don't. If you don't fight it, you're going to give in to it. Okay. Anybody else? Matt? Ah, so there's a direct correlation, Matt says, between the way we interact with sin and our witness to others. Right? Good. Anybody else? You start and you can't stop, and then eventually one way or another mess up your life. It will mess up your life. This gets to my parenthetical question here. What happens if you do fight sin, or what happens if you don't fight sin? Anybody? I can hear the clock. J-Mac. That's pretty succinct. <laughs> Michael. If you do, you'll grow. If you don't, then you won't. He elaborated a little bit. That's okay. John. If you don't, I just envision... Like, <clears throat> say a bully's picking on you and you don't stand up to yourself, the bully's always going to win. He's always going to have hold over you. He's always going to be in charge of your life. It's the same thing. If you don't stand up, if you don't fight sin, it's always going to be in control. And it's always going to have control over your life. Now, personal side, John, you never got picked on, did you? I mean, you were always the tallest, biggest oh, guy no. in your class, right? <clears throat> yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Anybody else? Well, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. So mm-hmm. putting up a good fight. And God says the devil is going to draw back. But what, what's the imagery found in the latter half of Ephesians chapter 6? Anybody remember the last half of Ephesians 6? What? Armor of God. And, and what's the battle that's being described? Is it a physical battle? Is it is it the uh, crusades of the twelve hundred? Well, the one one thousands through the twelve hundreds. No. What is the battle? It's a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it's a spiritual battle with spiritual armor, right? Okay. Let's move on. We can't answer all of these as in-depth as maybe we'd like, but we have to move on and understand as we lead to Jesus and connected with fighting with sin. What does it mean to fight sin? What, what does that look like to fight sin? I mean, Matt already referenced it, it's a spiritual battle. All right. What does that mean? What does it look like to fight sin? Becky. Choosing to do the right thing. Okay. Let's talk about that a little bit. A choice. A choice happens where? In the heart? In the head? Sometimes you choose and you don't even realize you're choosing. Really? Okay? Good. Anybody else? What's this fight all about? John? I've always thought it's 
especially if there's something that you know you struggle with, and you know Satan knows what you struggle with as well. And so he's going to continue every day to try to get you to fall fail in that area. So I've always said, especially if you know there's something you struggle with, pray about it daily and you know, ask God, help me to have victory over this. Fight it. Because Fight it with prayer. Okay, you, you, you talk about Satan attacking. How does Satan attack you? How many of you have seen a little guy in red with a pitchfork with horns? How many of you seen that next to you? Chrisanna almost raised her hand. Is, is Dan? Is Dan? No, never mind. No. no, none of you have seen that, right? Are we on the same track here? Nobody's seen a little guy in red standing next to you or on your shoulder. How? Oh. How? How do we understand how Satan tempts us? Either from how you understand from Scripture or from life. How does Satan do that? He nudges away at your soul and your brain, your brain and your heart. He nudges. How does he nudge? You have that little voice in you say, nothing's going to happen, you'll be alright. Okay. Anybody else? He uses the desires of our heart. He uses the... Do you believe that, Dakota? Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. I mean, the reason why I ask if you believe that is because ultimately, and I've said this time and time again here in Student Ministries, that regardless what worldview you hold, at the end of the day, you're holding that worldview by faith, by a belief. If you believe that your desires can be turned away by the evil one, that's going to affect the way you interact with those desires. There are so many people that don't even think about their desires are being wicked. They say, oh, I just can't help myself. That's the way I am. That's the way my genetic code is. They think that their desires they have no control over. But if you believe that the evil one can influence your desires, then something can happen about that. Because, as the Apostle John says, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. All right? Good. Anybody else? Jared. Um, just in case, like, you have tried and tried before and you can't beat it, ask someone else to pray for you or to help you. Okay. So bringing along somebody else. Is that, you think that's a biblical, scriptural tactic to use? Yes. You better believe it. <laughs> yeah. What, what do we call kind of the official group? That does that. Starts with a C. Christian. Well, what is what is this? Church. Yeah, exactly. One of the blessings of the church gathered is not just encouragement positively, but encouragement negatively, meaning against sin. You know, none of you were created to live in isolation. God created you to be together as a community however big or small that is. You can't fight alone, and you know that. John? I was just going to say, it's really interesting how when you ask God for help with patience, it seems like the next day the most annoying person on planet Earth comes into your life. And you're like, I mean... No. But, but it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing how the devil doesn't go for your strong points. He goes, he goes weak every time. He does. And here's the cool thing about the sovereignty of God. You, you might not believe it's the cool thing, but it is the cool thing about the sovereignty of God. 
God has ordained that the devil be used like that. James says, no one who is tempted should say, I'm being tempted of God. God can't tempt anyone with evil. But everyone is tempted when they are drawn away by their own evil desires. Don't blame anybody else. I'm not pointing he's an evil desire. I'm, <laughs> I'm the little red man. No, you're not. You're okay. You're okay. No, I was referring, referring back to your comment on desires. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good. Okay, again, we could talk at length. John, one more comment on this question. Three quick questions about Satan. Answer as quick as you hear the answer or the question. Okay. Is Satan wise? Is Satan smarter than you? Yes. Is he stronger than any human? Yes. He is. You can't forget that. Okay? We often think, oh, I can handle this. Or, oh, you know, this is just, this is just a momentary weakness of mine. We make up all sorts of excuses. And they happen inside our heart, inside our head. You have conversations with yourself all the time and you probably don't even realize it. Because every decision you make, there's a wrestling going on, whether you really are wrestling with it or not. Okay? Next question. What helps you fight sin? We've already talked about this a little bit, but practically speaking in your own experience, you don't have to mention a sin, but talk to the rest of us. What has helped you in your fight against sin? Accountability. Accountability, okay. And that's helped you personal experience, okay? Good. Humbling yourself before God and asking for help. And you've done that, right? Yeah. Humbling yourself before... is. And this isn't obvious too. But Casey, is that biblical? Yeah. Humble yourself before God and He will exalt you. Also from James. Um, setting your mind on things that are good means you know, yourself around things that are good. Yeah. And that comes from Colossians. Set your minds on things set your mind on things above, not on things on this earth. Very good. Emily. Posted notes with verses on the mirror. Seriously, I mean, we've got something more abstract and, I don't want to say just spiritual, but internal, like setting your mind, and something very physical. I'll tell you what, in my car, to this day, there's a 3x5 card that I've had right on the dash for probably the last four or five years with three verses on it. Reminder, constant reminder, which helps me do that. Exactly. Okay, what else? What else has helped you fight sin? Michael? New Testament app on my iPhone. Yeah, it can be something like that too. Um, if you have a smartphone, you're getting all sorts of crazy apps out there. Uh, I've never played Angry Birds before in my life. What? Ever. You know, Ty's proud of it. I might not go so far, but... Because God resists the proud, so now I'm just I'm just teasing, just teasing. But I've never played it. 
but a good app to have is something that's going to help you set your mind on things above. I'm not saying games are wrong. You know that. Okay. All right. Anybody else? What has helped you in your fight against sin? Chrisanna? Something like disciplining yourself with like your time because a lot of times if you just let yourself do whatever, then you end up getting into nothingness worthwhile, but if you discipline yourself in mm. all the areas of your life, mm. then it keeps you in mind. Man, that's, that's so hard. It really is. You know, right now, many of you have parents or bosses that are somewhat mandating your discipline, but they can't discipline every aspect of your life. At some point, you need to take over and discipline yourself because you're not going to have mom and dad around forever and you're not always going to have the boss who is that good at disciplining you. What if you're your own boss? What kind of life are you going to have? That's pretty scary. No rules. Wow. No, not at all. That's not the way it is. Next question. What keeps you from fighting sin? Again, don't necessarily share a sin, but share from personal experience what has kept you from fighting against sin. Laziness. And, and you speak from personal experience, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm, not, I'm not making a big thing, but you're right. Ty? Pride. Pride. Okay. What else? Emily? Um, wanting to be right. Wanting to be right. Hmm. Explain a little bit. Because you just let your mouth fly when you want to be right. Mm. You want to prove a point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jesse struggles with this too. <laughs> yeah, you are so right. You are so right. This time you are right. Okay. No, it's. It... <laughs> and my guess is, at least in some of those times, the Spirit of God is saying, Ooh, "Just back on down there. Just no." Okay. Anybody else? What keeps you from fighting sin? If you, if you are engaged in ministry, like, you know, not engaged in whatever, you know, your youth group or whatever it is that you have, you're not going to think it matters what you do because you're not going to be interested in what God is doing. So why why does your life matter? And if you draw back from the church or draw back from your family, what you do doesn't matter because hmm. you're not being used by God anyway. So what is, how does it matter? How do you live? Yeah. Hmm. So much. Michael, then John. Than Dakota. Uh, not being prepared, like when Satan comes out with you, at you with something, and you can't, you don't have the scripture to fight against it. You just you don't have the knowledge to understand what, you know, which one to take. Hear me carefully. Ignorance is never an acceptable excuse in the fight against sin. Okay, we could elaborate greatly. I didn't know. I wasn't prepared. Well, that's your fault. Now, there's a lot we can go into. But it's not a legitimate excuse before God in your fight against sin. Okay? Uh, John, then Dakota. I think sometimes with some people, they tend to view big sin and little sin. Mm. And they view, see people that do big sin. And so the little sin that they may do because it doesn't seem so bad. Mm-hmm. They don't, it doesn't bother them yep. as much because they're not, they're not killing or they're not 
And at the heart, what is that? It's a comparing, right? Your righteousness versus somebody else's righteousness. Okay? That, keep that thought in mind because it's going to come back to seeing Jesus fighting sin. Dakota? Emotions. Emotions. Yeah. Can you trust your emotions? Not usually. Not usually. Thank you, Dakota. That is, Jared, we'll stop with you on this one. Okay? In the case of like stealing and stuff, not being disciplined? Not being disciplined. Not getting caught. Elaborate. What would happen? Yep. Exactly. You know what? And not just in the case of stealing. That's kind of a practical one. In the case of tons of other sins. You don't you don't get caught in a lot of the sins you do. And the reason why that sin is still a big issue in your life is because you really haven't been burned hard. Seriously. To put kind of it right physically smack dab on the backside. All right. The reason why our girls are better at some things, fighting certain sins, is because physically it's hurt. Seriously. Physically it has hurt their tushy, their soft thigh. Okay? And, and if we don't get burned, if we don't see the stark consequences of our actions and maybe feel some of the pressure of that, we say it's not as bad, I didn't get caught, I can keep going, maybe try a little bit more. I'm speaking from personal experience here. All right, moving on. Do you think, do you think that seeing Jesus really helps you fight sin? Don't just automatically say yes. All right. Do you think, honestly think, that seeing Jesus, whatever that means, helps you fight sin? You can either choose to answer out loud or answer in your heart. Jesse? Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> because if your eyes are on Jesus and you're focused on Him, your eyes aren't on us, then something, something that's fight, like hitting at your back and fighting and bringing you down. Okay. I think for me, the times where I feel like it's impossible to not sin in a situation, I'm constantly reminded of seeing that Christ lived a life where he was tempted with way worse things at times, and yet he never chose to sin. And so that's always a reminder to me of there always is a way to not sin. So you would answer yes because you've actually experienced that. Okay? Uh, Rainy? I would say yes. This happened lately. I'm not going to give the example, but if somebody's telling you to do something and you've been in church for a while, something's going to pop up that's going to say, no, that's not right because... Hmm. You've heard about it. You've heard what happens to other people. You're going to know, I'm not supposed to do that. Okay. John. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I was trying to figure, find this verse a couple questions back, but it relates to this question as well. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13. It's really, you know, if you struggle with, with um, sin and temptation, it's a really good verse. Uh, there's, there has no temptation taking you but which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be able to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And, you know, Christ made that, that way of escape for us. He did. And this is a parenthesis. 
I'm compelled. We're going to come back to this again next week because there's more. I want to dig even deeper. Why do we sin? Okay, I want to come back to that and answer these questions on the right side that we didn't get to. But let's now look at, and these are just a few. Fifteen is just a few. All right? What is it? This is the question I want to answer with these. Excuse me, you're right, 16. I added a last one at the last minute. I'm like, oh, i got to put this one in there. It's so good. All right. This is the question I want to answer with these 16. You know what was troubling, though, with 16? It wasn't 15. 15 seemed like a set. You know? 5, 10, 15. 16's like, let's do four more for 20. Anyway, here's the question we want to answer with these 16. What is it that we see when we look at Jesus to help us fight sin? Alright, I understand this is somewhat abstract. So some of you who are very concrete thinkers, I want to see red and I want to see blue and I want to say that's red and that's blue. Well, this is more abstract than that. Okay, you gotta think carefully through this. What is it that we see when we look at Jesus? And these are, these come from the book of Hebrews and then some of Paul's epistles. Okay? We see someone when we look, when we look at Jesus, we see someone who loves us deeply and perfectly. That's what we see. When you see Jesus, when you are drawn to Him with your heart and you see who Jesus is, you should see from the Scriptures that He is somebody who loves you deeply and who loves you perfectly. Now quick, how does that relate to fighting sin? Anybody? If He loves you deeply and perfectly, what does that mean about fighting sin? Dakota? If you love him, you should love him back, and then if you truly love him back, you'll do what he says, and therefore not sin. Did Jesus even say that? Yes. He did, exactly, in the Gospel of John. Rainey? You're going to say the same thing. We're going to touch on this more next week, but when you sin, it's because that sin, or whatever you think compelled you to sin, either loves you more or loves you better than Jesus does. Your heart is probably not saying that in those words, but that's what's happening. You're not seeing Jesus' love as being perfect for you in those times. Jesus' love is enough for me. I don't need the love of this, whatever that sin is. Does that make sense? Okay, let's move quickly. Number two, we see someone who is pure and holy, free from sin. Pure and holy, free from sin. That relates to fighting sin because Jesus wins against sin. If you want somebody who's on your side, who's going to help you in the fight against sin, you want somebody who can fight it and win, right? Jesus. He's the one. Look to Him. Three, we see someone who is tempted as we are. So not only do we have, like what maybe some of you think, this elite person up here, this commander of many, who is just strong and buff, who everything bounces off of, you know, but somebody who is in the trenches, who has been shot at, who has gone through the front lines, he knows what we're going through, right? That helps us fight sin. Even as the author of Hebrews says, it helps us so we don't grow weary and faint because Jesus has been tempted like we are. He knows what I'm going through. Four, we see someone who endured more than we ever will. And we're going to get to this in more detail. 
But number four only happens, you only see that when you see it with faith. Because you think in the moment of sin that nobody has ever gone through this like you have. The reason why I can say that is because I've thought that. Nobody knows how pressured this is for me. It's just so hard. I have to give in. You know what? Jesus endured more than you ever will. And that's a fact that you have to receive by faith. You have to see Jesus and say, Jesus, you have gone through more than I ever could imagine. I need to trust you. Give me strength. Okay. Number five, we see someone who suffered and died for our sins. When you look at Jesus, not only do you see all those other four that we just talked about, but you see someone who died for that very sin that you're being tempted to commit. He said, I love you so much, I'm going to die in your place because you deserve to die for what you're about to do. Wow, when you see Jesus like that, you're going to be compelled to kind of put the brakes on that sin. Really. But we don't because we don't see Jesus. In that moment of temptation, we don't see Him. Number six, we see someone who is not afraid to call us brothers. All right? This is a cool thing. The author of Hebrews says this, He is not ashamed to call us brothers. Okay? That's a cool thing, that Jesus calls you brother. He's in it with you, and He is the best sibling ever. Okay? Ben, this might be hard to understand, but Jesus is a better sibling than Ashlyn. I know, no way. Because Ashlyn is a pretty good sibling. Yeah. And Casey? We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) Number seven, we see someone who defeated the power of sin. Many times I think we think we've got a little lapdog on a leash that we can control, and that lapdog is called sin. When most of the time, we don't even realize that what we actually have is a giant Rottweiler that we don't even have on a leash. He's got us on a leash. That's sin. We are deceived, and the evil one does that all the time. He deceives our heart into thinking, you've got this under control. You can wield him around, you can keep him on your lap and pet him, and you could throw him out the window if you wanted to. (laughs) Or drop kick him, you know? No! Sin is a Rottweiler, and bigger than that. It's like a Rottweiler on steroids. Okay? Jesus defeated the power of sin, and He is stronger than that. Number eight, we see someone who pleads in heaven on our behalf. Now, inevitably, sin comes with guilt and shame. Some of you have experienced that. Some are experiencing right now. The guilt and shame that comes with sin. Do you realize that that shame and guilt is there for a good reason? Because you have a conscience that is tied to the image of God and man. That God has designed in you this warning system that's related to emotions and feelings. You shouldn't feel good about sin. And Jesus, God has designed you to be like that. But we have one in heaven who is pleading our case, who is always accepted by the Father, which we'll get to here in a second. Number nine, we see someone who gives us grace and strength. Do you believe that? That He will give you strength. He will give you grace. What's one of the passages we looked at already? He will help you in your time of need. Go to Him in prayer. Number 10, we see someone who always pleases the Father. There's a feeling of shame and guilt. The, I'm forsaken. 
I can't show my face. And we do that with other people too. I can't be seen around them or they can't see me because of what I've done. We do that even deeper with God. But we are in Christ if you are a believer in Christ. And God always accepts the Son. And He always accepts you. That's called justification. It's a beautiful thing. I should have a t-shirt made that says that. We see someone who, 11, never leaves us. You realize that your best friend at some point is going to leave you. Or you're going to leave them. Death. At the very least, in death. But most of the time, we're such best buddies. We're BFFs. And then after high school, you don't even Facebook each other. That happens. That happens. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of us are out of high school. Um, our best friends in high school. How many of us are best friends in high school? They're still our best friends. Two. John? Okay. That's a pretty, that's a pretty sad percentage. Seriously. That's not a bad thing that his best friend is still his best friend. But that's a pretty sad percentage because all of us think, oh, we're going to hold on to these relationships. Well, you might, you might not. You realize Jesus will always be with you. He'll never leave you. Next one. We see someone, number 12, who is greater than our sin and us. And us. And that's an important little addendum. He is greater than us. So whatever we're going through, He is greater than that. And you have to receive that by faith. We see someone who, number 13, is superior joy and pleasure. And we have to see this by faith as well. If you don't see Jesus as superior joy and pleasure, you're going to see sin as superior joy and pleasure. I mean, a very practical example of this is Moses in chapter 11. He understood, he saw, that the passing pleasure of sin in Egypt was far less than the superior pleasure of the promise that God had in store for him. And you have to see that by faith. We see someone who, number 14, enables our faith. And we touched on this a little bit last time, and it does come down to faith, because we've got to receive all this by faith, and our faith has to be nurtured and encouraged. But He enables our faith. It is Jesus. If we want faith to fight sin, it only comes in looking at Jesus. We see someone who, number 15, endured hostility from sinners. Yeah, but everybody's doing it, and the pressure is so great. I just don't know if I can endure this. Guess what? Jesus did. You know, there's a lot that I'm not quite sure about verse 4 in chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. What's the writer saying? At the very least, he's saying this. There is only one who has resisted sin to the point of shedding blood, and that's Jesus Christ. He went that far. He physically died and still did not give in to sinners. Can you say that? No. Then look to Jesus because you can with Him. That's the point. Number 16. We get there finally. We see someone who never changes. Never changes. All this that we've just noted about Jesus, never going to change. You change. Your best friend changes. People change. Circumstances and situations change. Do you realize this? Your pet sin, that little lap dog that you like, 
That's going to change. It's going to change from a chihuahua to um, no, a lap dog. A Great Dane is not a lap dog. Maybe, maybe on somebody's lap. All right. It's going to change over time. It might change kinds and species, whatever. But you know what? Jesus never changes. So if you want help against a chihuahua, Jesus is your answer. If you want help against a pug or a toy poodle, Jesus is your answer. Seriously. All right? Now, any uh, final questions or comments related to tonight's study? And I, I think we're going to come back to this at least in part next, next Wednesday to deal with a little bit more deeper issues of why do we sin. But any comments or questions right now? Dakota. So, well, yeah, I think it was John Burkhardt said, uh, like, when you pray for patience... Inevitably, the next day, it's going to be the worst day of your life. <laughs> um, but uh, that kind of just reminds me of uh, when you pray for patience or courage or something, uh, God doesn't necessarily just you know give you patience. He gives you opportunities to be patient or opportunities to be courageous. So, you know, it's not always that just because you pray for it that you're going to be perfect at it the next day, but... He'll get you thinking, and uh, he'll definitely give you opportunities if you pray for him. And, and that's that's a good point to bring up, and this is going to get into our, our discussion next Wednesday. The command, be patient. Okay, good enough, that's what I need to do. Is it good enough just to have the command? Okay, I'm going to be patient. H how do you do patience? Don't answer that now, but that's what I want you to think about. The command and the obeying of the command are two different things. The command is be patient. Boy, God is going to throw a ton of stuff in your path to teach you patience. And the teaching comes in various forms that you probably have never considered. What does pastor call it? Like the imperative and the indicative? Yeah, the, the paradigm of the, of the indicative and the imperative. The command and the proposition. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that concludes our study.